What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. As I live and breathe less than 48 hours away from kickoff against the Indianapolis Colts. Let me say that again. Less than 48 hours away from Colts v. Texans at Energy Stadium to kick off the 2022 season. Woo! Oh, does that feel good to say? And that woo felt good to get out. I am your host this evening, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And we got plenty for you tonight. We're going to hear from Lovey Smith and Davis Mills in just a little bit. We got my predictions, my keys to the game. We also are going to hear from DP City, who sat down with Colts sideline reporter, reporter Lara Overton. I hope I said that right. I keep saying Laura, but it's Lara Overton. So hopefully I did that right. So Lovey Smith, Davis Mills. Laura Overton, my predictions, my keys, a little bit of Mark Vandermeer, a little bit of Drew Doherty, a little bit of DP City, all on tonight's show. If that sounds good to you, let's rock and start by hearing from the Texans head coach, Lovey Smith, who spent a few minutes with Mark Vandermeer talking about this one against Indianapolis. All right, Coach, here we go, the opener. Tell me, how do you balance with the players or help them balance all the emotion and excitement yet have that execution you need mentally and physically at the same time? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is just acknowledge that it's there. There's no way around it. I mean, uh, opening game of the season, uh, there's excitement. You haven't gone through this particular situation before. And for me, yeah, I've been doing it a while, but every year is different. And then – the amount of young players you have. We, you know, we have some rookies with a prominent role, major role on our team, going through it for the first time. And that's what I've done. Hey, you know, trying to joke a little bit. You know, I was with, uh, talking with Jalen Petrie out there a little while ago, say, hey, hey if, you, if you need a sleeping pill to sleep, hey, let me know, we can get you one. <laughs> or if you're just kind of, you wake up early in the morning and not, don't wonder what to do, give me a call, I'm probably up too. So, but again, the excitement for the, that first game, you, uh, you're feeling that also. And the veterans have to help, too, as far as adversity you might experience within the game itself, right? Because not everything yeah. goes perfectly all the time. Yeah, and uh, our, I'll just say our rookie class, they lean on the veterans. They've asked that. And we have a veteran group. You know, our leadership group is pretty special to know what they're going through and just give their experience about it. And it's the same message a little bit. You know, if you, be prepared and everything's going to work out. It's kind of simple as that. Well, you have to at least slow down, Jonathan Taylor. How do you do that? What can you tell us about what you need to do to get that accomplished? And then the guys on the back end have to be ready as well for play action and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, first off, each week I assume we're going to play. You know, the team, the other team's tailback is going to be pretty good mm -hmm. in NFL. Then there's some special guys, but that hypes you up a little bit more too. And being a division opponent, we know exactly who he is. But for us – we play, it's always about us, the discipline that's, that goes along with being in our defense. So we have to do that. Then gang tackle. We also talk about getting as many guys to the ball as possible, and that's just pursuing, playing hard each down. Gang tackling, it's going to take all of that. What about the matchup of your O-line versus their front coach? Because they have Buckner, they have Stewart, they have a lot of tough guys up front. Yeah, they do. We, uh, it's going to be one of those kind of games. You know, we're talking – we just talk defensively about what we have to do to stop their offense. In order for Jonathan Taylor to have success, it's about their offensive line, of course, you know, led by Nelson too. But on the other side of the football, we feel like if you just look at our roster, our offensive line is one of our strengths, maybe the strength of our team. 
uh, good football players there. So we feel good about that matchup in order for us to have success, get our running game going, open up our play-action game. The protection has to be there, and I figure it will. Well, you were mentioning how guys in their second year, Davis Mills, you have Brevin Jordan, you have Nico Collins, second year now taking that step forward and how important that is. Yeah, and normally there's a big jump of improvement Mm -hmm. from game one to two, uh, year two, or year one to year two, all of that, this experience that you get. Those players that you mentioned, they all got valuable time last year. And I've had now a chance to go through an entire cycle with them. I'm going to talk about all-season training camp. I just know that they're prepared. Going back to preparation, they're prepared. And uh, you're prepared and you, you're a good football player. Your mom and dad gave you, you know, took care of you and gave you exactly what you need to succeed. Uh, I think I know what the result's going to be at the end. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. Anytime at all. So there's Mark Vandermeer with rock star number one. And it's time for Drew Doherty with a little Drew's Dozen with rock star number two to kick off tonight's show, Davis Mills. Drew, floor's yours. Drew's Dozen time presented by Mustang Cat. We got the quarterback, Davis Mills, with us. It's great to be with you. This is fun. Hey, since it's Mustang Cat and they do the earth-moving equipment, amongst other things, what's the last time you remember digging something? Oh, maybe last time I went down to Galveston. It was the, the first time and only time I've been down there so far this offseason. The house we rented had some shovels in the garage, and I was messing around on the beach trying to not be bored just sitting there the whole day. So <laughs> got to find something to do. I was just playing around in the sand. A sandcastle guy, yes? Or yes. were you building, like, just, benches or what was going I on? I can't sit still for too long, so I just had to find anything <laughs> I do to get moving. Okay, so you're digging at the beach. This, this fascinates me. What else is going on for a day at the beach, Davis Mills? Not too much. Try to bring some snacks down there. Mm-hmm. Get hungry pretty fast. Yep. Um, Everything tastes better at the beach, too, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Try to get a little bit of a tan in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just got a puppy this off season too, so I had a, a dog to chase around, too, and make sure he doesn't run off. Wow. What type of dog is it? Uh, Golden Doodle. Golden Doodle. Okay. What's, it, what's the name? Rufus. Rufus. How'd you come up with that? My favorite artist music group is Rufus Dussault, and uh, my first dog ever was named Ruckus. And anyone you'd tell that name to, they'd always confuse it with Rufus. So I thought it was a, a pretty cool <laughs> ode to the old pup. And balls, uh, dogs go roof, roof, too. That's pretty exactly. good. It's, yep. That's a Simple. perfect name. Uh, what's the craziest thing or the most unique thing that Rufus does right now? He's in his puppy phase right now, so he's just biting everything. We yeah. just got to try to control him. I think he's eight and a half months right now. So, Are his teeth still razors? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I love that about dogs <laughs> and hate it at the same time. Okay, here's another thing. Do you ever get lost driving? No. Because you're a prepared I have guy, a right? Pretty good sense of direction. I always know, I mean, north, south, east, west. So if I can figure out which direction I need to be headed in, it's, it's kind of difficult to get lost. So, with that in mind, do you always have the GPS going when you're going someplace new, or do you just kind of write down the directions? I usually do. Yeah. Unless I know, like, something that's near it, I'll probably just use GPS just to have it just in case. Yeah, that always works. Okay, thumbs up. I like it. You've been doing it a lot. We've kind of made it a little bit of a thing. When did that start for you? I don't know. I've never been like a big on-camera person, so that's just something simple to kind of show the camera that you you care and you're you want them to know that you know that they matter. But it's also something to kind of get by. Don't ask me too many questions (laughs) as I walk by. That's good. It keeps it going. Keeps things moving. Oldest piece of clothing that you own or wear. 
I can't think of anything particular. Probably some old pair of socks or underwear or like an old hoodie back from high school. High school hoodie? I grew out of all my clothes into high school, getting into college. Yeah, how much did you grow from like height-wise high school to college when you left for Stanford um, I think to now? my senior year of high school, I was probably 6'3", 205, and then I got to Stanford and got up to 220, 225 pretty early on my freshman year. So a lot of those larges and XLs had to move into 2Xs, so. Yeah, otherwise you're looking yeah. like a smedium in that thing, exactly. right? Uh, last gift you gave someone is what? My girlfriend for her birthday in June, I got her a bag and just flowers. Okay, yeah, that's good. I was talking to one of your receivers, Philip Dorsett, and he gave his wife a Peloton. And initially I was like, oh, hey, uh, did she ask for that? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 she asked for it. Because like, you never want to give a woman cleaning gifts or exercise equipment if they don't ask. because yeah. I see him riding it all the time on his social media. So <laughs> yeah. I guess it was a gift for both of them. It's a good gift when you can make, exactly. when you can take advantage of it yourself. I, I've done that before. It was, it was mainly with books back in the day with my dad. But anyways, game day, the night before. What time do you go to sleep? Before 10 o'clock. Before 10 o'clock. Is that normally any, like, during the week? You yeah, that's, sleep? I mean, pretty consistent throughout the week. Get your good solid um, eight hours. Try to close your eyes by 9.45 and hopefully fall asleep before 10. And what time you wake up every morning? Right around 5. Okay. Yeah, so I'm seven, seven-ish hours, seven, eight hours. Not bad. First thing you do when you wake up? Check my phone, make sure it's the correct time. Hopefully I didn't sleep past any alarms. So do you need alarms sometimes to wake up, or do you kind of wake up naturally at this point? During the week, I do for some reason. Like, I use my alarm to wake me up, and then on the weekends, for some reason, I'll set an alarm, and then every time I don't have anything to do, I'm up like an hour before my alarm, unfortunately. <sighs> that's the worst. Well, I mean, there's worse things, but yeah. that's just not so much fun. Role models who are not related to you, who are they? That's tough. Because um, everybody says their mom or their and or yeah, their dad. Yeah, I, mean, I would for sure say my dad, one of the hardest workers big time separated work and family to make sure he spent as much time as he with as our with our family as he could but mm -hmm. outside of that i don't know yeah i haven't thought about it too much good to know perfect fruit salad ingredients first of all are you a fruit salad guy not on not really no? you I don't mix in fruit in, in your i do not like when the if it's a normal salad i do not like when they put fruit in it if oh it was yeah just straight Fruit, I'll eat, I'll eat anything. Okay, yeah. Normally, though, lean towards, like, blueberries, raspberries, one of the berry mixes. I can't stand yeah. it when you're having, like, a Caesar salad or something and there's oranges in uh, it. That's the worst, yeah. It's horrible. Horrible! Or strawberries. All right, our producer of this, a guy named Tyler Marcotte, he wants to know guava fruit or cucumber? That's his burning question when I – he found out I was interviewing I would you. say cucumber. I don't think I've ever tried guava. Yeah, I don't know that I have. I, I might have, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And then also he has had this one. You you golf. You're a good golfer. You have a foursome, so you're in it. Dream foursome. Who are the other three in it? They could be dead or alive. Who would I say? I would say Phil and Tiger for sure. Okay. Who gets that final spot? Probably Jack Nicholas. That's a good one. Yeah. And where would you guys play? What golf course? Augusta. Augusta. I've never played there. That's the dream course. So. The stories they would tell. That's what, like uh, 25 almost green jackets between the three of them. Probably yeah. something like that, yeah. yeah. Well, not maybe not that much. No, no, yeah, I'm thinking of all of Nicholas, uh, no, Nicholas's yeah. majors. My bad. Yeah. Forget that. Maybe a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Davis Mills, best of luck this week in season. It's fun talking with you. You're always a good sport on these. Thank you much. Thank this you. has been a Drew's Dozen. Thanks for having me on. All right, great stuff there from Lovey and from Davis. So let me bring in my main man, Mark, right back on. We talk a lot about every single game, every single team. We've been talking about this team, the Texans, for a long, long time. And we finally get to see regular season action Sunday against 
your least favorite NFL team, the Indianapolis Colts. I just want, what's your gut reaction? How you, how are you feeling about 45 hours out or less than 48 hours out from playing the Colts? I am so fired up right now, Johnny. I can't believe it's finally here. You know, you think about all these shows that we do. All right. All the off season programs that we do. We started the day after the Super Bowl and we've had preseason games. We've had the draft. We've had things happen. Signings, yeah. all of it. Stuff. But it's all conversation, right? Yep. I always say that. We do seven months of shows in between snaps in the yeah. regular season, yeah, right? Or playoffs or whatever the case may be. So here we are with on-the-record stuff happening on Sunday. And Johnny, in the booth, moments before kickoff, I always feel this way. I've felt this way for 20 years now, 21. I know I'm going to feel this way on Sunday. I feel this sort of it's excitement, it's butterflies, it's angst, it's delicious, it's wonderful. This is why I'm in this business. Yeah. I freaking love it. I think every fan feels the same way right before kickoff. Let's go. So the fact that it's the Colts, though, I've said this before, this yeah. makes it extra blood boiling here because it's them. It's the nemesis. We must stop them. And I went full we on you here. I went yeah. full collective us. Yeah, that's cool. Fans. It's got to be. Texans, mm -hmm. all of us collectively, H-Town, let's get it. Okay, just because I'm thinking about it right now, I want to do a little either or with you real fast. All right. I want you to tell me whether this is your favorite memory. On third down for the Houston 44, Whedon takes a knee, and it is all over. The Texans finally capture their white whale. They beat the Colts in Indianapolis for the first time ever, 16-10. to 10. Houston takes control of the AFC South, going to 7-7 seven and seven on the year. Or this is your favorite memory. Okay. Here's Arian. Cut back. Left side. Across the 15, 20, 25, 30. Right sideline. 40, 45, 50. And out of bounds in Colts territory. Arian Foster gives the Texans some breathing room. A 41-yard run. I formation. Foster again. Left side. Why not? Across the 20. The 15, the 10. Going for the 5. Going for the pylon. Touchdown, Arian Foster! Exclamation point. 25-yard run. And the Texans are blowing out the Colts. 15 beating the Colts. Arian Foster, 2010. 15. 15 was definitely more special to me. And yeah. that was special. Arian, 2010, debut, yeah. all of that. Oh, that was fun. And oh I was going gosh. through some personal issues with my vocal cords at the time. Yeah. And I remember calling that game, and I, I hit those calls, and I felt pretty good about that part of it, too, because I thought, man, this was an epic game we just saw. Yeah. You beat the Colts for only the second time in franchise history at the time. But the one in 15, I'll always say this because it was a two and five start. Everybody left yeah. the team for dead. They ended up winning the division. And I know some people still poo-pooed it. Well, the AFC sounds wasn't that good. <laughs> you were two and five. Right. Okay. And every one of you media people, and look, I love all you guys, but everybody said they all should be fired. This should be it. But they came back and won the division two years in a row. How about that? And 2015 was the first time up in Indianapolis. Yes. So that's, special. Uh, it, when I think about, I mean, it's, sometimes it's hard to think about the 2015 game as we're getting ready for a home game against the Colts. Because obviously that happened up there, but just beating them up there was such an emotional afternoon. I just remember being on the sidelines and seeing people that had been here forever and had never beaten them. And they're hugging on the sidelines and some of the new guys like Bernard McKinney was a rookie. He's like, all right, 
We yeah. beat the Colts, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a good win. Yeah, good win. Why is that dude over there crying? What's he yeah. crying about? Like, because we never beat him up here. Yeah, we never beat him up here. Oh, I was going through the numbers right in the oh. press release, and you know, I know all of them, but yeah. just to see it written out. And you see RCA Dome, mm -hmm. we're 0 7, right? The <sighs> Lucas Oil Stadium. Look at the numbers from this series, Johnny. Oh, They're not yeah. good anywhere for the Texans. No. And they got to start getting better. And Sunday would be a good time to reverse that. Yeah, the the period, and I wrote about this in my Know Your Foe, the period from 14 through 20, that's seven years, it actually ends up being 15 games. They were all one-score games. The only one that wasn't was the 2017 game that actually was a one-score game, but there was a safety at the end. It made it two, made it a nine-point win. But either way, it was a single-digit difference. Interesting. In 15 games from 14 to 20. And then last year happened. Yeah, last and, year happened. Yeah. And uh, it was bad. And I think it, it was this, tough. Is, this is the good thing about having gone through that. Lovey's talked about it. Mm -hmm. Mills knows about it. The guys right. who were here last year, and there are plenty of them now. I know they had a massive overhaul again, but not as massive as the year before. So it's fresh for a lot of guys. And they are going to remember that feeling and want to correct that. So I think that's some extra juice for them. But as we all know, it's about after you kick the yep. ball, are you playing well or not? And we all saw NFL football Thursday night as the Bills beat the Rams. And what stood out to you? execution, turnovers were yep. a big factor for both teams. The Bills easily could have let that one slip away. They could have also put 50 on the board last night. You got to try to play as clean as possible. Stuff's going to happen. It's open yeah. day. Stuff's going to happen. You have to overcome it, especially against this team. Stuff's going to happen because they have a lot of talent. And you're going to see things that are different. So you have to be I called it the other day. I was talking with Drew. came up with this term called stubborn malleability. And it sounds paradoxical, but huh. you have to as, and I think Lovey and Pep kind of fall in that way. Like, hey, we have our things that we do. We're stubborn about that. But you have to adapt to, oh, boy, the Colts are doing this or the Colts are doing that. And that's giving us an issue. So you have to be malleable. You have to be flexible at the same time, sticking to what you do. You've been working on it all at training camp. Mm -hmm. Stick to it. But be ready to change. Be ready to, oh, man, they're running more 11 personnel than we expected. They're in nickel a lot more than we expected. Okay, they're doing this out of nickel. We know they're in nickel, but they're doing this. Okay, we got to adapt. We have to adjust to that. And I think that's one of the biggest things about week one is how quickly can you adapt. And one thing about watching the game last night, the Rams and Bills, and, and I wonder how Coach feels about this because there were not everybody – but there were about four or five guys from Texas that didn't play. JB, uh, Laramie, um, they didn't play. Mm. Kenyon didn't because he was banged up. Uh, Brandon Cooks didn't play. Maybe one or two others on defense. I can't remember. Either way, I would say nearly everybody played during the preseason. They could work through their stuff, their junk, through the preseason. I felt like the Rams were trying to work through their junk week one. Yeah. And it, things were happening way too fast. The Bills were the wrong opponent. They didn't do anything in preseason. And I, I understand McVay has done it that way for a few years. And it's worked well for and him. And it's worked well. That's the first opener he's lost. But that's a right. heck of an opener to have. Right. To have and, a Super Bowl favorite in your building. But what were you, me, and Dre texting about? I think it was week two of the preseason. Josh we were Allen all, playing? We were all <laughs> texting each other. Are you watching the Bills right now? 
Oh, yeah. This is six straight drives of touchdowns. It wasn't all Josh Allen, but Josh Allen was out on the field getting reps, and you could tell he looked sharper than Stafford last night. You had No doubt. Keenum was throwing to Diggs in a preseason game. That's unfair. Those two participated in one of the most memorable (laughs) playoff plays in the history of this league, the Miracle in Minneapolis or whatever they call it, and they're in the preseason quarter number two, slinging it and making a difference. Yeah, this is a very strong team, and you're right about the Rams. I thought about the same thing. Don't play your guys in the preseason. Beware of that because Allen did play a little bit. At least he got his feet wet, if nothing else. And I'm not saying that's the reason they won, but it probably didn't hurt. Yeah, I I don't think it hurt uh, at all. It didn't hurt having Von Miller showing up. <laughs> a big night. Oh, uh, oh, it, he's Monday night Vaughn. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he's the Vaughn, spotlight. He's when, spotlight Vaughn. He is. Lot, spotlight is on. Vaughn knows to turn it up. He is. Uh, when when the lights are on, when it's a playoff game, when it's a Super Bowl, when it's a game like that, which is a total showcase game to yep. kick off the season, get ready, buckle up, because he's bringing it. And he got to the quarterback so fast. I mean, it's you know he'll beat the tackle. And then it's like, yeah, but he's still got to make it over there to the quarterback. And a lot of guys kind of run out of juice right there, yeah. speed no, or whatever, he's... oomph. He has an extra gear at that moment. like, Zzz! And Stafford took some violent hits in yeah. that game. So did Allen, by the way. But a lot of his were because Design I guess he runs. wanted to. <laughs> he's like, I'm running, and I guess you're going to hit me. Oh, by the way, can we give credit? Now, I was not listening to the game last night, so I don't know if any credit was given. Hmm. But your boy, Kenny Dorsey, called one heck of a game. They talked about him, and they showed him a few times. Did they? Okay. Yeah, I, I, the didn't, I didn't hear like, them talk about Because we know him, you know, from yeah. back in the day. She yeah. goes, like, oh, Kenny. And, uh, you know, because that was 20-plus years ago. Yeah. But she said, that doesn't even look like him. <laughs> like, all right, listen, it's 20-something years later. Can you give the he guy a fantastic. break? He's got his glasses on. He's got a hat on. He's yeah. calling the game. And you know what helps when you're an offensive coordinator? Josh Allen. Yeah. <laughs> that helps a lot. It so. does. He... The throws that he makes into tight spots now that are accurate. I just remember seeing him at the Senior Bowl and just thinking, man, if he can rein that in. And I thought what was interesting, thinking back to Josh Allen in 18, was at the Senior Bowl, the first day I'm watching, it was he and Baker Mayfield, and I think it was uh, Taylor Lee for Nebraska. Those are the three quarterbacks on that team. And I'm watching him throw. And they're throwing at that that netting that's got the three squares, the kind of yeah. diagonally set three squares. The Chris Palmer target. Yeah. And Mark Allen can't hit it. He can't hit it. He's just spraying it. But the next day they did that drill, he's popping it. Oh, he got it. And better. then the next day well, it was he was doing it again. And I remember thinking at the time, okay, that's that's something. Maybe that's showing how he's making adjustment. He's taking in coaching. That's something good. It wasn't great when he wasn't hitting the net. Now you got to worry about that. But, man, he did show improvement day after day after day. If he does that, oh, boy. John, well, he's starting to do that now. Wasn't his completion percentage in college in the 50s? Yeah, it was like 54, 55. All right, and last yeah, night it was, it was in the 80s, yeah. okay? <laughs> he, he was just ripping it. Yeah, I mean, just, he has gotten but He does what you want every player to do, which I always talk about, but people eh, – I'm yeah, really yeah. going to mention this again. Get better. It's that obvious, folks. Improve. How do you do it? Hard work plus talent equals improvement. That's it. It's not really that difficult. Uh, well, it is difficult. I should say it's not that complicated. Okay? Right. Hard work plus talent, you're going to get better. Yeah. Now, if you're not talented, you're still going to get better, but maybe not enough. Right. right? Yeah, But exactly. if you're talented as an like athlete is, and yep. you work your butt off and you stay healthy, obviously – 
that's going to equal success. It's pretty simple. It's just harder to do. It's like being a salesperson. Make the 10 calls a day. Well, it's pretty simple to say that. It's hard to do. The phone weighs 1,000 pounds after a while. When he was at Wyoming, he had a couple of throws where he'd be running dead to the sideline. But he always kept his eyes down the field, and then he would sling it 60 yards falling out of bounds. And I thought, when the heck is he ever going to do that in a game? And then he did that last night. Yeah. He rolls right, and there's Diggs 55 yards in the air just on a it. dime. <laughs> he just, just zoom. Oh, when he, when he let that one go, I thought this is going to be good. This is there's something down there, and it's going to be good because Holy I was rooting smokes. hard against the Rams. Usually, I root against every AFC team, no matter what. But I just and I like McVay, yet I want to see the Rams fail. It, there's just something about it. I, I agree with you. I wanted to see the Rams fail too. I, I and of course we know Sal and. And I know the history of Buffalo and Houston and playoffs and all that kind of stuff, but I love going out to Buffalo. You know, Sal and I obviously have a connection, you know, that we've, you know, fostered over the years. And so I was cheering for him. I'm happy for that. I mean, did they show up? Oh, they showed up. Speaking of showing up and showing out, Buffalo fans did. Texans fans got to show up, show out on Sunday as well. And they they will. They they will will at NRG Stadium. And guess where else we can uh, implement the silent count, you know, Mm -hmm. on the opposing quarterback? (laughs) On the road in Dallas. Yes. Got to do that again for Dak Prescott the way they did for Romo, the traveling yep. Texans, in 2014. Got to make that happen. Yeah, definitely. That will be in December, but Sunday is the Colts. I will give you my keys to the game next right here on Texans All Access. Right here on Texans All Access. Right here on Texans All Access. Right here. Welcome back, everybody. This is Friday edition of Texans All Access. It's a football Friday. It's less than 48 hours away from the Colts and Texans kicking it off at noon at NRG Stadium. The 2022 season is here. My goodness, it's everything all wrapped in one. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And every year, this is now the ninth year, I have spent either this or the next segment. We're moving up to the second segment this year for my keys to the game. And I know I, over the years I've had plenty of people, a number of them inside the Texans building, that love listening to this segment. What are the keys to victory? I get asked this all the time. So, and I've done keys to the game articles for 19 years. I started in 2003 writing for College Football News, and that's when I started doing them. And I've been doing them ever since. Now, I put this in an article called Know Your Foe, HoustonTexas.com. Make sure you check that out. Check out the app. Have the app handy because obviously you're going to need it for your tickets. Getting into the building on Sunday and get in there early, man. Get a button to seat by 11:30, man. Let's rock that place. It's going to be awesome for Liberty Whiteout on Sunday. Now, let's buckle in. Let's focus on the Colts. I've always said this. Wednesday show is always kind of like a final recap. You know, putting the final kind of nails in the coffin of the previous week. Friday is looking ahead to that game and diving in as I do right about here. Now, I'm going to do my keys to the game. I need music. I need my music because it just gets me in the mood. I mean, you got to be in the mood, right? Right. And what gets you in the mood a lot of times? Well, for me, it's football. But for a lot of people, it's music. So let's put football and music together and get our keys to the game cranked. All right, let's start with the Texans' defense against the Colts' offense. It's Colts' offense that averaged 159.7 yards per game Second in the NFL. Why was that? Wentz under center. Taylor in the backfield. First down. Colts at their 12-yard line. Five men across the front for the Texans. Wentz takes the snap. 
Handoff Taylor has a lot of room. 15, 20 left side, and Reed can't get him down. 30, 40, still going on the left sideline. 40 of Houston, the 30, the 20. And finally, Mitchell brings him down inside the five. Just Shot out of a cannon. Jonathan Taylor was pretty darn good. He did that against the Texans. In the Indianapolis matchup up at Lucas Oil last year, they threw for under 200 yards again. That was 26th in the league last year. Total offense at 347. They were 16th, right in the middle of the league. And they lost 19 turnovers. Now, you think that 19 turnovers, hmm, that's a salty number. They had 33 takeaways there, plus 14 turnover margin. My goodness. A lot of the Colts stay the same. Alec Pierce jumps in at wide receiver. The rookie, 6'4", 215-pounder from out of Cincinnati, will jump in for T.Y. Hilton. He is a height-weight speed guy. He is down-the-field guy. He is the version of T.Y. Hilton, kind of, because T.Y. Hilton's like 5'10", 175, but they're going to get to the same spot and the same speed uh, and create a lot of issues down the field. It's just that it's not T.Y. Hilton. Matt Ryan will pull the trigger, of course. Uh, and the offensive line still, I think, has two particular spots where the Texans could take advantage. Left tackle Matt Pryor is new to the starting lineup, as is Danny Pinter taking over from Mark Glowinski, uh, who moved on to the Giants. Keep an eye on Naeem Hines also as well. Now, the first key to the game has got to be, and I like my alliteration here, make Matt move. Matt Ryan, 15th year in the NFL. He has faced Lovey Smith seven previous times. Three when Lovey's with the Bears, four when Lovey was in the division, with the Atlanta Falcons um, when Lovey was down in Tampa Bay. Matt doesn't move extremely well. Now, there have been times where Matt has had a scramble. He's gotten out of dodge, man coverage. Everybody's got their back to him. He's got just enough to be able to go get a scramble for a first time, those kind of things. But Matt's not going to make an undisciplined rusher miss for the most part. If guys are flying at him, he's not going to crater and go into a turtle pose, but he's not going to be able to <laughs> Lamar Jackson that thing and just slip a gap and gone. I mean, you could do everything right against Lamar. He can make you miss. You could do everything wrong against Matt Ryan, but if somebody has won up front, you have an opportunity to get back there and sack him. You've got to move him off the spot. If you let him drop, throw, drop, throw, drop, throw, he's going to beat the you-know-what out of you. Make him move. And if the front four can't do it, bring five. Bring six. Lovey's not scared. He's done that before. Make him move. And once he moves, then DB's got to plaster those receivers, and hopefully they'll do that. But you got to make him move. Number two, free up Malik. Malik is Malik Collins. Now, I mentioned Danny Pinter taking over at right guard. The other guard is Quentin Nelson. He's the best in the league, in my, in my thoughts. You have Quentin Nelson. You have Zach Martin, two best guards. They both came from Notre Dame. They're incredible. We don't face Zach Martin. We do face Quentin Nelson. Danny Pinter on the other side is a guy that's played a little bit, a little bit center, a little bit of guard. But Malik Collins was on one at training camp, about as explosive as I can remember seeing him. Free him up. If Malik goes one-on-one against Pinter, that's going to be a win for Malik. Often. So, whatever they got to do against Quentin Nelson, let Quentin and Roy Lopez bang. Roy's going to win his share because Roy has, Roy's game has gone up to a different level. But Malik is the key. Malik can make their life miserable inside. Malik Collins is that guy. I'd like to see him take over this game. Number three, 
Gap Sound. Now, there was the band called The Gap, The Gap Band. Then there was the store of The Gap. The Gaps I'm talking about are the A, the B, the C, the D in the defense and the offensive line. Everybody's responsible for a gap. But you try and steal a gap at times playing some of the coverages that coach does with some Tampa 2. You only have seven. How do you get into your gaps? You got to make sure that everybody is in a gap where that player needs to be. Jonathan Taylor's good enough to, you have all the gaps filled and he still beats you. He's that good. So you can't allow him opportunities when you have botched your, your gap responsibility and he's now about to embarrass you. That can't happen. All right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball where the Colts defense now has a new face leading it. That would be Gus Bradley. Last year they gave up 109 yards per game on the ground. It's 11th in the NFL. They allowed 234 yards per game through the air. It was 19th in the NFL. And total offense, 343. That was 16th right in the middle, just like their offense. But they generated 33 turnovers. They're plus 14 in turnover margin. Yannick Ngakwe joins the lineup out on the edge across from Quiddy Pay. Brandon Faison moves out to corner. He played in Gus's defense last year in Las Vegas. And Nick Cross, the rookie, more than likely is going to start at safety. He is the Colts version of Jalen Petrie, but a bigger, uh, more uh, middle-of-the-field, deep coverage kind of guy, whereas Jalen's a guy that can kind of play all over the place. And they've also added former defense player of the year, Stephon Gilmore. This is a talented, talented defense. So let's get into the keys. Number one, excuse my grammar here, but this ain't Grover from Sesame Street. Now, if you're in my generation, or maybe, I don't know, this one, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if younger generations watch Sesame Street or not, but I did. I watched a lot of Sesame Street. I used to love Sesame Street. Oscar Grouch, Big Bird, but Grover. Grover's always this kind of happy-go-lucky, fun guy with the kind of weird, scratchy voice. But he always seemed like he had a lot of friends. He got along with everybody, which I guess is Sesame Street. Um, number 90 is not that. Number 90 is Grover Stewart. And I've often talked about the Forrest Buckner. Forrest Buckner is arguably one of the top five defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen in the league. He can wreck a game plan in a quick second. I think we have seen that over the years against the Texans. He's tra- he was traded in 2020 to the Colts, and he's been dominant ever since. But while Buckner was taking games over, next to him, number 90, Grover Stewart, was quietly becoming a stud. 6'6", 335, 340, absolute animal on the inside. And watching him in preseason games this year, he looks about as good as I can remember him looking. He reminds me a little bit of a bigger, faster, more athletic version of Lawrence Guy, who played for the Patriots for a long time. And Guy just wrecked everything on the inside. And that's the way it feels like Grover Stewart is. He's as height, weight, speed, uh, top-notch as you can get. He is becoming a force in both the run and the pass defense. And that is troubling, especially because DeForest Buckner's still there. So, Grover Stewart. This is going to be a big one. Grover Stewart got to get him blocked effectively against an interior offensive line. That's got Justin Britt. A.J. Kahn has seen him before, played against the Colts when he was with the Jags. And then we'll see what happens at left guard, whether it's Justin McCray, Kenyon Green, how they're going to uh, divvy up those reps. Maybe there's a split. Maybe they split them. Maybe there's one series on, one series off. We'll see. But those three are going to have their hands full with Buckner, of course, but also number 90, Grover Stewart. 
Number two, that's our ball, not Shaq's. Now, I wrote my Know Your Foe and my Keys to the Game, and put my Keys to the Game in it earlier in the week. And I think it's one of those things where rather be prepared for it and adjust to Shaquille Leonard not playing as opposed to, oh, he's not going to play, and then all of a sudden he plays, and you're like, oh, boy. Now, it's going to be interesting how Shaquille Leonard fits into a Gus Bradley defense. Either way, the fact that Shaquille Leonard is not playing in this game, he has been ruled out. He's the only player on both sides to be ruled out of this matchup. And that, my friends, is huge. And I'm talking from all different angles. The interception last year when it was 10-3 to up at Lucas Oil. Punching the ball out from Kiki QT in 2020. Fourth down and five at the 15-yard line of the Colts. Watson, shotgun, three receivers, wide side right. One back, Johnson, here's the snap. Four-man rush. Watson throwing over the middle. Got a man, QT at the five, breaks a tackle. The ball is out. The ball is out of the end zone. It's loose. It looks like the Colts have it. QT caught it and fumbled inside the five, and the Colts are going to have it on the recovery with 19 seconds to go, and the Texans will lose to Indy again. Last year, punched the ball out. David Johnson, uh, I think both here and up at Indianapolis. At the 43-yard line of Indy, Mills in the gun, Johnson to the backfield. Draw play, Johnson has the first down, running left down to the 36-yard line of Indy. And the Colts say the ball is out, and it's a fumble, but... It appears that Johnson was down. Indy pleading its case. They may look at this. It's a fumble. A punch out as David Johnson ran for the first down, but coughed it up, and it's another turnover in this half of the Houston Texans. The guy wasn't even 100% last year playing with a bum ankle. He was probably about 75 80%. He still was the best player on the field at that point. But he's not playing. He is out. He's still dealing with that back injury. There was a thought he might get ready for week one. But with the schedule, Texans and then Jags before a week three matchup with the Chiefs, they kept the possibility open. But he had not played at all in the preseason. He's just put the pads on, just getting back. He is not able to go, thankfully for the Texans. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be a walk in the park uh, with the linebacker crew led by Bobby Okereke. Okereke is a really good player. But Okereke with Leonard is different than Okereke without Leonard. That is a massive key. No Shaquille Leonard, a.k.a. Darius Leonard, in this ballgame. The last key, the old Gilmore. Now, when you put the word old in front of something, it's not always good. I mean, I guess because I'm now older, I'm a little bit more sensitive to it. But when I say the old Gilmore, I'm not talking about Gilmore, Stefan Gilmore, being old. I'm talking about Stefan Gilmore playing like his old, his younger self now as an older player. Watching him in the preseason games, he looked sensational. He was top-notch in coverage. He looked like the old Stephon Gilmore, the Gilmore that won Defensive Player of the Year back in 2018. First down, Texans at the Houston 25-yard line. Griffin motions around the backfield, settles to the right wing. Watson fakes the give. Watson throwing downfield, and it's picked off. Gilmore at the 50, 40, 30 right sideline, the 25, 20. 
cuts inside, and he's finally down at the 11-yard line. Hopkins with the tackle. Watson threw it off balance, and Gilmore cashed in with a pick. He just looked like he was that guy, and that's scary. Now, how do the Colts go about using Gilmore? Does he travel with Brandon Cooks? Does he travel with Nico Collins? How do they use Gilmore? That's going to be interesting. All I know is watching Stephon Gilmore. He looks like the same guy that won Defensive Player of the Year back in 2018, now four years later, and that's not good. So Texans have to be able to tangle with Stephon Gilmore to get a win. All right, those are your keys to a win over the Indianapolis Colts. We'll be back. Go around the NFL with a quickie to end this first hour right here at Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. We've got a shorty here as we get through with our first hour. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And boy, last night was a show. It was an absolute show put on by Josh Allen and the Bills. And you can try and hate on the Bills if you want, but my goodness, what a talented squad that was last night. Mark and I talked about that a little bit uh, in the first segment. But Bills beat the Rams 31-10, scoring 21 points, 21 unanswered in the second half. Gabe Davis scored again. Feels like every game he plays, he, he plays, he's scoring touchdowns. So the Bills jump out 1-0 on the seasons. The Rams fall to 0-1, 0-1. First time they've been 0-1 since McVay has taken over. And they've got issues. That offensive line, yikes. Now, they aren't going to be – not every team is going to be able to do what the Bills did to them, but holy smokes. Joe Nopum struggled at left tackle. Uh, Coleman Shelton struggled at guard. Brian Allen is – been a center for them, but I'm telling you, they just don't have it. Havenstein just gave a contract to very, very good tackle, but David Edwards struggled. They needed Logan Bruce for that team, and he got hurt in our game. Wow, our preseason game. That line is struggling. Don't be surprised the Rams make a move with all that draft capital they don't have. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about Bills Rams. Later in the show when we go around the NFL with our predictions. But coming up next, let's talk about this one with Lara Overton, DP City, who sat down with the Colts sideline report. That's next on Texans All Access. I love game week. Love it. I mean, who doesn't love game week? Who doesn't love game week, man? You kidding me? Game at the end. Sometimes it's hard to get through the week because you're so excited about the game on Sunday. But one of the things I love about Game Week is that our all-access shows go from not just 6 to 7, they go 6 to 8. We get a second hour, and we kick off the second hour right here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio with me. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. But I have to step aside, which I'm fine with, because it's my good friend, D.P. Sidhu, stepping in. She had a chance to catch up with her good friend, Lara Overton. Hopefully I said that right. I've been saying Laura, Laura, Laura. Lara Overton who covers the sidelines and covers the Colts like none other. She does a great, great job. And she and DP sat down and broke this one down about five, six, seven different ways. Here's DP and Ms. Overton covering this game for the Colts. It's enemy sidelines, and we've got Lara Overton, team reporter for the Indianapolis Colts. Lara does TV. She does radio. She does podcasting. She does everything. Lara, it is great to see you for week one Colts. Here at NRG Stadium, welcome in, my friend. 
It is so great to see you again. And I can tell you, it's so exciting to get back on the road and get to Houston again after the last <laughs> two seasons were the way that they were. So excited to start things off. I mean, the stakes are high. Not only is it week one, but you start off within the division, which is always exciting. Starting the season and ending the season with the Colts. But for now, for week one, let's talk about Matt Ryan. I know before the season started, I hit you up and a few of our division writers to find out what are the top storylines heading into training camp. And of course, the big storyline for the Colts, Matt Ryan, the veteran QB traded to the Colts, now under center. So how has this offense changed or how has it looked with Matt Ryan under center? It has changed, I wouldn't say immensely, but I do think it has been impactful, uh, the difference that he's made. He already came in, and we heard it the first week of, of the offseason program when he came in, that Coach Reich was like, oh yeah, we've already changed a good percentage of the playbook just based on some of the preferences that Matt has had from things he's done in the past. But also, Matt's very open to suggestions on what has worked for you guys before. And especially, hey, what works when you have a running back like Jonathan Taylor that you can run this offense through as well, where it's not a situation that the entire offense is on Matt Ryan's shoulders. He has Jonathan Taylor. You have this unique weapon in Naheem Hines. You have a very young group of wide receivers behind Michael Pittman Jr., who had a thousand yard receiving season last year. Then you have an interesting group of tight ends to work with as well. With the retirement of Jack Doyle, you're seeing Mo Ali Cox and Kylan Granson and the rookie Jelani Woods take on larger roles. So one of the things that we've really learned is Matt Ryan has an expectation of what he wants all of the other guys within this offense to do and where he wants them to be and how he wants them to play. And the guys have thrived. They've embraced having that type of leadership. He was very hands-on over the course of training camp, giving immediate feedback to guys like your rookie, Alec Pierce, who comes in with incredibly high expectations. Man, Paris Campbell is due to have a breakout year, battered injuries over his previous three seasons with the organization. It's a huge year for him to step up. You have some departures of guys like T.Y. Hilton and then Zach Pascal, who was a big role guy, no longer with this organization. So not a single receiver over the age of 25. So to have a 14-year veteran like Matt Ryan is critical for that group. And this is going to be a really good test for them. Uh, Frank Reich said that in the preseason, they were very generic. Of course, Matt Ryan played in two of the three preseason games. They kept things very bland. So it's going to be interesting to see when they start to open up the playbook, what the balance is like with the run and the pass, and then how you're incorporating guys differently because we do expect Naive Hines to have a greater role in the passing game as well. A lot to unpack there. Naeem Hines and then Jonathan Taylor, which Lovey Smith, he was here last year as defensive coordinator. And we all remember a little too well what Jonathan Taylor was able to do against this Texans defense last year. And I mean, hey, it wasn't he just a, the Texans defense. It was a lot it was of, a lot of <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for finishing my sins. He had quite the season. So, you know, do you think that he can repeat 2021 the campaign? I mean, are they planning on giving him the same number or same amount of touches? I know it's sort of like looking into a crystal ball, but you know, how much does the offense change with Matt Ryan being added as far as Jonathan Taylor is concerned? I do think that there's going to be a lot more consistency in the passing game with Matt Ryan than what you had last year, just because of the poise that he brings, the command that he brings, the decisiveness. That was one of the things we learned early on 
uh, in training camp. Practices were running a lot more quickly because they were getting through all of the plays they needed to do with about 10 minutes to spare because of how quickly Matt Ryan got into his calls. So it was a really good test for the defense as well. They're like, oh, okay, this is how we're going to play, right? Their conditioning was very quickly tested. So we do know that that's something that Matt Ryan brings in. Frank Reich talked earlier this week about striving for a bit of balance between the run and the pass, but that does look differently week to week. Some days you will be more pass heavy, and then maybe you compensate the next week and you go a little bit more run heavy. One of the things I expect is that, of course, Michael Pittman Jr. is kind of the workhorse of the receiver group, and although he will get, I would imagine, the bulk the bulk of the, of the targets and of the looks, you'll really see the ball spread around a lot with Matt Ryan. And in the run game, one of the stats – that really stuck out to me was last year for Jonathan Taylor, his rush yards after contact, 1,272, exceeded the total rushing yards produced by any other player, period. Nick Chubb wow. ranked second in the league with 1,259. That is rushing yards after contact. That is a huge number. And one of the things we know with running backs is you overload them, and at some point in their careers, they're going to start to wear down. Now, that doesn't seem like that's indicative of what Jonathan Taylor is going to do, because not only of the workload he's, he's had so far in those two seasons with the Colts, but even going back to his college days and, you know, the, the workhorse that he was, the workload that he carried at Wisconsin. So I do expect that you're going to continue to be a run first football team and allow yourself to establish the run behind the offensive line that you have with Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, and then, you know, some new guys up front as well. I think that it'll be very run dominant, but I do think that you'll see a little bit more balance because I expect Naheem Hines role to be much greater in 2022 than in 2021. And an indication of the type of teammate that Jonathan Taylor is, he's all for it. He, he is not a selfish guy who is like, you know, thinking of, of the touches first, his touches first. He's all about distributing the ball, having a balanced offense and winning football games and doing whatever he has to do to put his, his team in position to do that. All right, let's talk about the Colts' defense. Matt Eberflus is gone. He's now the head coach of the Chicago Bears, so they lose their defensive coordinator, but they add some pretty big names this offseason. Yannick Ngakwe, who we saw a lot of when he was with the Jaguars, Stefan Gilmore. Uh, what's been different about this Colts' defense heading into 2022? Well, you know, not just the guys that you've added from a personnel standpoint on the roster, but also Gus Bradley brings in an entirely new scheme that you have. And, you know, there are things that we've seen that have been characteristic of the past and the type of defenses he ran, like with Seattle, with Jacksonville, with the Chargers, with the Raiders, different organizations. But he also has taken the great foundation that Matt Eberflus established with this group and then just brought some of his nuances to it. You you knew that this Colts defense was going to be very fast, very physical. They love to take the ball away, right? That's the, that's one thing. And then Gus has really taken the the strong foundation that was here that you have with Shaquille Leonard, the Forrest Buckner, uh, Kenny Moore the second. I mean, it was a defense at last year that had pro ball players at every level, D-line, linebacker, and in your secondary. Now you add to it, you compound to that, a proven pass rusher in Unique Ngakwe, and then you also have a former defensive player of the year in Stephon Gilmore. And one of the things that the Colts lacked last year was pressuring the quarterback. They needed more sacks. You needed more pressure off the edge. So 
one of the best things about the addition of Unique Ngakwe is how Pay benefits from that. You do expect them to be, you know, more attacking up front. And one of the things that DeForest Buckner had to deal with a lot last year was getting double teamed on, you know, almost every single snap. So you do expect that pressure up front to be more consistent with what you're doing. And then, of course, with the Gus Bradley system, you rely heavily on those safeties and those guys on the back end. So very early on, I think that this plays well for the athleticism you have with young safeties. Julian Blackman coming back, his season was shortened last year by that Achilles injury. He's looked incredible in training camp. Now you have the rookie in Nick Cross. Get this, Nick Cross turns 21 the day before this game against the Houston Texans. So he will make his NFL debut one day removed from his 21st birthday. And then that whole group is reinforced by Roddy McLeod. So you do have a really great group of playmaking safeties. And I think that because of the pressure you're going to get up front, that's going to allow those guys on the back end to make more plays. All right. Well, the athlete formerly known as Darius Leonard, he's now yeah. Shaquille Leonard. I saw that a few months ago. He goes by his middle name now. Uh, he had back surgery this offseason. What can you tell us about him and his recovery? One of the things we learned from Shaq Leonard, and just to clarify, Shaquille is his middle name. So he, his family, so the backstory on that, family, friends had always called him Shaq or Shaquille when he was growing up. He joked that the only time he was called Darius was when he was in school or when he was in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but when he got into the league, it was the advice of Randy Moss, who was like, you know, shut your mouth, open your ears, you know, be quiet and listen. That's what you do as a rookie. So he didn't want to make waves uh, that oh, first gosh. year, you know, and, and kind of tell people he really prefers Shaquille over Darius. And then finally, I, I asked him about it this year, because last year we found out that we were, you know, pronouncing Bobby Okereke's name incorrectly. It, he came into the league and we all called him Bobby Okariki, which is the Americanized pronunciation of his Nigerian last name. So in my attempt to just be sure we were being accurate in how we were referring to everyone and getting pronunciations and everything correct, I asked Shaq, maniac, D. Leonard, however you want to refer to him, about that. And he said he does prefer Shaquille. So we overhauled mm. you know, the rosters and the media guide wow. and everything is up to date with Shaquille Leonard. But yes, he had that back surgery. And it's really interesting. We knew that he battled the ankle. And he said that the ankle injury is something he's really played on and played through since his rookie year. There was a point in his rookie year when he rolled his ankle pretty severely. And you know how attacking of a linebacker he is when you have any limitations with the way he moves and you know the way he goes after the football um that's going to severely impact your game so in treating the ankle injury they realized that this wasn't just an isolated ankle injury it was actually stemming from some disc issues that were in his back so they had to have a procedure he had to have a procedure where they alleviated the pressure from the back that was radiating all the way down to the ankle. So this is a compound issue. So it's not so much just making sure the ankle is ready and the strength is there, but also where is the back in all of that? And has all of that healing taken place? And in my conversation today with Frank Reich, he says it's going to be a while before he's 100%. Obviously, no one wants to be out there more than he does, and he has such high expectation for himself. But one of the things we know about Shaq Leonard is that he plays at full speed and nothing less. And he and I had a conversation last week and that he said there were parts of last season where he was 
playing well below 100%. And he feels like he really hurt his football team because he wasn't able to make the plays that he was used to making and that they counted on him to make. So he knows that having him at full capacity, full strength for 14 games or 15 games or whatever it is, and making sure that he's ready the latter part of the season to put the team in position to make a playoff push, to get into the postseason, if that's a sacrifice that needs to be made, you miss a game or two up front, that's going to be worth it. They've not ruled him out for this game. There is certainly uh, a scenario where he could play against the Texans. It's all going to depend on how he responds to three straight days of work Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Interesting. Interesting to note. All right. Before I let you go, Lara, a few of us around here have been obsessed with the Andrew Luck podcast that was on The Athletic. And we binge listened to it um, this off season. I don't know if you've listened to it, but what's been the reaction about Andrew Luck just in, in going through his injury history and everything that he'd been playing with the, the last few years of his career, especially. I was on a couple of trips this summer. Uh, so that was what I listened to on my flights. I okay, so you did hear podcast. Yeah. I have heard it. And I, I actually knew it was in the works for a while because Zach Kiefer, the brilliant journalist for The Athletic, he was previously with the Indy Star. He's a fellow IU alum. So I've known Zach <laughs> for many years. So I, I knew that I knew what he was working on. So I was very intrigued. And he would send me out little little previews and little snippets along the way of what he was working on. But it's really nothing. It was all interesting to all of us. We all lived it. So I feel like that there was most of it, you know, that we knew or were aware of up front. Um, I think more than anything, it was mostly the perspective of everyone else in hearing from guys like David Shaw and hearing from Jacoby Brissett mm -hmm. and the different people who were interviewed along the way. I loved, you know, Daniel Jeremiah's perspective coming from a scout. I think to me, that was really the interesting just thoughts on it all was different people from outside the organization because we all, I mean, I had been with the team just over a month when Andrew abruptly retired, but I'd covered the team for the previous five years. So I was pretty aware, you know, I documented almost every step of the way since early on in his career, what he'd, he'd been through. But, you know, it's almost, I think for a lot of Colts fans, it was like reopening the wounds, you know, and, and hearing all of this here, we're going into a fifth straight year with a different starting quarterback. So it, I, I think though, the biggest takeaway for me in it all was there was a piece that you found at the end of this where you yeah, do feel absolutely. like it seems that he's moved on and is happy and has is formulating this next chapter of his career. I mean, we just learned from David Shaw that, you know, Andrew's going back to Stanford and going to grad school and has his family out there. He and his wife, Nicole, were both Stanford, you know, are both Stanford alums, both were Stanford student athletes. So they're going back out there. And I, I really think that it, there was some reassurance in it all that you're really rooting for Andrew in whatever this next chapter holds, whatever he's doing. And, and I also think too, like I knew a lot about his Stanford career, but there were a lot of things that I didn't didn't realize about it yeah. along the way. It certainly filled in the gaps. And it's funny when you say everyone has a piece, I feel like Texans fans have a piece that he definitely closed the door on returning to football because I felt like every year when the Colts were looking for a new quarterback, there'd be rumblings of Andrew Luck coming out of retirement. And I feel like after that last episode, I felt pretty confident he was happy where he was in life and, and good for him. And 
And this Sunday, the Colts will be doing it again with Matt Ryan. So looking forward to the matchup, Lara. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, can't wait to see you in Houston. Now I'm going to admit a couple things. Number one, I was always a big Andrew Luck fan. Huge, massive. I thought he was what was right about football, right about human beings. I thought he was so, he was quirky, but he embraced it. I had talked to people up there, and they said he would just tool around on his bike, living in downtown Indianapolis. It was just different. And when you listen to that podcast about Andrew Luck, I I don't know, I gained an even greater appreciation for him because he just thought differently from everybody else. But he was an incredibly intense competitor. He loved to compete, and that came through uh, his entire career. It got to a point, though, where he – had said he was spending more time rehabbing than getting ready for the season, and that was particularly uh, frustrating. I will admit I miss seeing him on the field. always loved going against him when we could beat him. I mean, it was frustrating because he was so good. I mean, 2018, those two games, the play, uh, the game that broke the nine-game winning streak and then the playoff game, he was so good, just so good. So I, I've missed him for that reason, but I'll tell you this, I sure as heck am not going to miss him on Sunday. My goodness. Had he been there 2019, uh, 2019 through 2021, 22 going forward, I think the Colts would have had at least a championship. I'm convinced of that. So I'm okay not seeing Andrew Luck on the field, but I wish him the best. I think that dude is a really unique guy. Uh, and I, I love his dad, Oliver. I've known Oliver for, I don't know, a long time. I think Oliver is just salt of the earth. But I'm glad that Oliver is not in the building watching his son play against the Texans. I like that. I'm okay with that. I can admit that. It's okay. Mark Vandermeer would admit it too. We're okay to admit that. All right. There are, well, one game was played Thursday. And one game will be played Monday night. That's going to be the Seahawks and the Broncos. In between 14 games on Sunday. And yeah, I'll pick the Monday night game too. Why not? My predictions straight up against the spread. All for fun next right here on Texans All Access. Right here on Texans All Access. Right here on Texans All Access. Well, we made it to the NFL season, everybody. Last night, Thursday night, out in SoFi Stadium, the Buffalo Bills brought the funk all over Los Angeles Rams 31-10. to We made it. We haven't gotten to the very first NFL Sunday. Now, that is something special. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, for your Houston Texans and been running this Friday show for the last nine years. Now, I've been doing what I'm about to do in this segment for the last nine years, and it's one of my favorite things to do because it puts me essentially uh, out there. I make predictions of all NFL games. I do it straight up and against the spread as a way to talk about the game. Not so much, here's gambling advice. No, 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 no. It's a way to talk about the games. That's what I love to do because, man, there's nothing better than an NFL Sunday chock full of matchups and, for week one, chock full of road favorites and home underdogs. How are we going to handle that? Well, get my music and let's roll with a full slate of Sunday games starting in Atlanta with the Falcons and Marcus Mariota await the Jameis Winston-led New Orleans Saints. Now, I've gone on record saying the Saints, I just don't 
know, man. I just don't know. I know it's a talented team. There's no doubt. Receivers, running backs, uh, Tyron Matthew, that defense, they've got every piece you need. Can Jameis, A, stay healthy, and B, not turn the ball over 30 times? Now, last year when Jameis was a starter, that team, until he got hurt, Saints were one of the better teams in the league. Could he have continued that for 17 games? Don't know. He obviously uh, was not able to finish the year. Ian Book came in, not good. Trevor Simeon, done. They even called Drew Brees. It was not good. But he's back. However, this game's in Atlanta. That said, I just don't think Atlanta can play with the Saints. The Saints are five-and-a-half-point favorites. I am going to lay the five-and-a-half. I'm going to take the Saints to win and cover and beat the Falcons, the hated rival. I think it happens, I don't want to say handily, but handily. It's a 14-point win for the Saints. I'm thinking like 28-14. I don't see the Falcons scoring, uh, putting up any points on the Saints. I think it's a long day for them, and Winston shows, hey, I got this. This offense is going to be pretty good in New Orleans. The 49ers go to the Bears, where San Francisco is a seven-point favorite. Yes, it's Trey Lance. I know people are panicked about that. I've been saying, look, calm down. Trey Lance is going to be just fine. I think he's going to be very, very good. That offense is going to – worst case, he is Jimmy Garoppolo, and Garoppolo got him to the Super Bowl. Best case, Trey Lance ends up being – uh, Lamar Jackson plus Patrick Mahomes reincarnate. And the 49ers were talking about them as the, the bully for the next 10 to 12 years. I think San Francisco houses the Bears. San Francisco, that road favorite by touchdown. I think they cover that. I think they win by a couple touchdowns. 49ers to win on the road and cover that seven-point spread. Steelers going to the Bengals. Bengals have Joe Burrow ready to go. Now, one thing that I noticed – and Mark and I talked about this earlier. Thursday night game, boy, Matt Stafford looked off a little bit. Now, part of that was the injury. Part of that just didn't play much. Joe Burrow hasn't played at all. Can he step right in and move that team like he has? I think it's a lower-scoring game. I think the Steelers' defense is going to definitely show up to play. Bengals are favored by 6.5. I'm going to get the Bengals a win. This feels 20-17, 24-17, something of that ilk. Bengals win. Steelers get the cover that 6.5. Eagles going to Detroit. That's four-and-a-half-point favorites. I think the Eagles are scary good this year. The moves they've made recently, Sondarius Slay last year, they went and traded for A.J. Brown this year. Uh, they just traded for C.J. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, formerly of the Saints, to, to add to Darius Slay in that secondary. I think the Eagles are very good. I think Jalen Hurts takes a step. Maybe not all the steps he need to take, but he takes a step. Eagles win. Eagles cover that four and a half. Lions will stick around for three quarters when the fourth quarter of the Eagles pull away. Win by 10, 31, 21. Patriots taking on Dolphins. This one boils down to this for me. Either Bill Belichick and the Patriots have been playing possum this whole time, or the Patriots are definitely on the back end. I don't know if either one of those are good. I'm not sure which one I want either. Do I want the Patriots to be good again, or do I want the Dolphins to spank them? Let's go with the Dolphins spanking them or at least covering the three and a half. Miami's a home favorite with three and a half, three and a half point spread. I think the Dolphins will win this. Let's go 24-17. They beat up on the Patriots, and Mike McDaniel gets his first coach, or his first win as head coach of the Dolphins. Dolphins win and cover at home. Ravens and Lamar Jackson. I guess he's playing. Didn't get a contract today, though. Play the Jets. Joe Flacco, former Ravens quarterback, the one who has the Super Bowl championship for the Ravens. Baltimore's favored by six and a half. I think Flacco keeps it interesting, but the Ravens get any kind of heat. 
Odafe Owe off the edge. However they get heat, I think that could be a problem for Flacco. He's going to be a sitting duck. I'm going Ravens to cover that six and a half. I think Lamar uh, is on the verge of proving to everybody he's worth that contract. And he's going to – I mean, remember Joe Flacco inside contract going into 2008, 2012, sorry. Won a Super Bowl and got paid mad cash. I think that's going to happen to Lamar Jackson. Jaguars taking on the Commanders. Last time Carson Wentz faced the Jaguars, it was down in Duval County. It did not go well. It did not go well at all. Washington's favored by two and a half. However, this time I think Wentz does get a win. Narrow, 21-17, 24-20. That's more than two and a half. I think Washington wins and covers. If they don't, uh-oh, Carson Wentz is going to be on a hot seat very, very soon. He has not responded well to that. Browns-Panthers, another noon game. It's a pick em. It's the Baker-Mayfield revenge tour. No Deshaun Watson. Jacoby Reset will be the leader for the Browns. I think at home I'll give it to the Panthers. I think Baker Mayfield, as long as Christian McCaffrey is relatively healthy. He went on the injury report this week. He got spiked, I think, on the shin. And that doesn't feel good at all. So we'll keep an eye on that. But if he's ready to go, McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Baker slinging the rock. That defense has got some athletes. I think they make life tough for the Browns. Let's give the Panthers and Matt Rule a big win that's needed at home against Cleveland, Texans, and Colts. The spread's down to seven. Hmm, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that Vegas is moving the number down because more money's coming in on the Texans, which hopefully is a good sign. I never go against my heart and my head. I hope the Texans win. I don't ever, I don't ever pick that game. But interesting, it's gone from eight and a half to eight, now down to seven. Let's go out to Tennessee starting in the afternoon games as the Titans get a visit from the G-Men, New York Giants. Tennessee's favored by five and a half. It's one of the more interesting teams in the league to me because I I hear such polarizing opinions. Far left, far right as it pertains to the Titans. They're going to fall into the cellar. I don't know if I hear that, but they're going to be 7-10 team. They're going to be 12-5 win division. I don't know that I just really – I think they fall somewhere in between. I think it's a 9-8 football team that could potentially get the seventh spot. I think the Colts are way more talented. And we'll see whether Ryan Tannehill is that guy. The Giants, I just can't see the Giants and Brian Dable's debut as head coach getting a W against the Titans. Now, I do think the Giants will play well for Dable. I don't think they get the win. So, I think the Titans will get the win, but I think the Giants will get the cover. Titans win. The Giants get inside that five and a half. Packers, Vikings, it's in Minnesota. Green Bay's favored by a point and a half. I know Minnesota's supposed to be better this year. It feels like Minnesota's going to be better this year. Kevin O'Connell is going to ramp that offense up. Is the defense back, though? That's the key. Harrison Smith is back. Patrick Peterson's back. They've made some changes. It's Aaron Rodgers. Packers win. Packers cover that one and a half. Although, keep in mind, last year, Packers opener down in Jacksonville against the Saints because the Saints were dealing with the hurricane. What happened? 38 to nothing. Packers got house. Doesn't happen again. Packers win. They win big. Chiefs, Cardinals, no hop for the Cardinals. Kansas City favored by six. We'll see if Patrick Mahomes was right. Does he have more weapons to spread the rock around to? I think he does. I don't think it's as explosive, but the Chiefs will win by a touchdown. So that'll get him a win and a cover out in Arizona. Raiders, Chargers. Last time we saw these two, it was a classic. Week 18 of last year. This one's being played in SoFi, though. L.A.'s favored by three and a half. 
I think the Chargers will get that win for Brandon Staley as Josh McDaniels leads the Raiders in in his debut performance as head coach for the Raiders. It'll be a very good ballgame, 28-24, 31-27, something like that. But it'll be a four-point win for the Chargers, and they will get the win in cover. Bucks and Cowboys, is it okay to hate both these teams? I kind of do. Tampa is favored by two and a half, going up against the Cowboys. I think Jerry's crew is going to play hard. Let's give the Cowboys a win and a cover and a little mild upset at home. And Monday night, Broncos, Seahawks, there ain't no way Russell Wilson's losing that game. None. And they'll cover the six and a half. So there you go. There are your predictions. Coming up next, final word with Drew Doherty with Davis Mills. That's next in Texans All Access. We got one final segment this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, so glad to be with you on this Friday evening. And before we get to Davis Mills, we got to have a little bit of talk. And it's the talk that we all should have as we head into a football season. Now, it's sort of like the talk your parents would give you, but it's not about the birds and the bees, but it's about staying hydrated as you throw down a few beverages this weekend. You got to stay hydrated. It's still in the 90-degree range. It's going to be hot still, and it's going to be intense. It's going to be football going on, and we haven't been doing that much this summer, so we got to stay hydrated. Well, I've got some even further good news for you. Mark Vandermeer sat down with the great people from Houston Methodist to talk about how you can stay hydrated this time of year. It's Houston Methodist Minutes. Mark Vandermeer with you, joined now by Dr. Jillian Wooldridge. Doctor, how's it going today? I'm doing fine, thanks. How are you? Doing well. Now, I was on the practice field this morning. It was a little warm out there, but not so much for me. Warm for the players. So let's talk about working out in this heat. High school football teams and all sports teams who participate outside haven't had it for a while. Obviously, the Texans have as well. What are some of the do's and don'ts of working out in this hot weather we're having, although in the morning it's cooling off a tad, just not enough? Yeah, I know. I think we're lucky that we're getting a little bit of temperature drop, but it's still pretty warm out there, especially if you're exercising. I think if uh, there are a couple of things that can be done to help prevent heat illness and stay hydrated and safe with exercising in the heat. Uh, the first thing to really consider is that hydration doesn't start necessarily the day of a practice or an exercise bout. You know, hydration really starts before then. So one thing that we really counsel our athletes whenever it comes to game day hydration, for example, is a Saturday game day. Uh, hydration plan really starts on Monday, the week leading up to that. So making sure that you're staying hydrated during the week, I think is incredibly important. That way you're not trying to play catch up all of a sudden on game day because a lot of fluid at once can really start to cause some stomach upset. When we think about hydration in particular, obviously a lot of people are reaching for sports beverages uh, and water and I think there's a little bit of misconception about when you need either. For most people, when it comes to general exercise, even outdoors, indoors, doesn't matter. If it's less than 60 minutes, water is considered perfectly adequate for hydration. If you're exercising beyond 60 minutes, that's when something containing some carbohydrates like sugar, uh, as well as electrolytes like salt, uh, sodium, and potassium can be helpful. And that's when a sports drink can be very useful. When you think about preparation for an athletic event, like I said, hydration starts beforehand. A rule of thumb 
is about two to four hours prior to a significant exercise bout, we recommend consuming about a half a liter, 500 milliliters of fluid. Um, if the athlete uh, urinates, it should come out a nice pale yellow. And if it does, they're probably in a good place. If it's still a dark yellow, they need to consider drinking about another 250 milliliters of fluid. So that's our pre-game or pre-exercise hydration. Now, during the game, frequent sips of cool fluid, definitely a good idea. Um, if exercising in the heat, especially, you want to consume probably about 20 ounces. You think about a Gatorade bottle every hour or so of fluid in small sips to not prevent or basically to prevent you from getting an upset stomach from drinking too much fluid at once. And then after exercise is also a time that we want to target hydration. Uh, a little rule of thumb is if you, for about every pound lost of fluid, uh, pre and post exercise or every pound lost of weight should be replaced by about 16 ounces of fluid. Great information, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Dr. Jillian Wooldridge of Houston Methodist, the official healthcare provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist leading medicine. We appreciate Dr. Wooldridge for stopping by and giving us some tips and hints on how to stay hydrated at this time of year. Look, it's week one. It's a 17-game season. we got to pace ourselves, people. But if it's the 17-game season we all hope it's going to be, then that means Davis Mills needs to step up starting Sunday, and he is ready. And each and every Friday, I give the final word to my good friend, Drew Doherty, as he sat down with the second-year starting quarterback for your Houston Texans, Davis Mills. Drew and Davis, now. The Texans are playing real football, regular season football. So it's time to talk with the man in charge, under center, Davis Mills. It's great to be with you again. And we did this about a year ago. One thing I've always noticed about you, supremely confident. Doesn't matter what's going on around you, calm and confident. How much more confident are you now, though, versus this time a year ago? I mean, I don't think the, the confidence level has changed much. I think the comfortability of being out there and being in control of everything is what has changed. Building that experience from last year and going out there and really putting that successful stint together at the end of the year. Obviously, the outcome of it, each game wasn't what we wanted, but I felt like I was going out there and playing good football, protecting the football. And I think the biggest thing this year is just carrying on that momentum from last year and what we put together all off season and throughout camp. So I think the comfort level and just being in control of everything is the biggest thing that I've noticed. That's a good distinction. You make comfort versus confidence. So with the comfort idea in line, how much more comfortable did it make it for you being involved in February and March and April in helping install this offense with Pat Hamilton? Because it's a different offense than what you were doing last year. And how much did that help with what you're doing and what you're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, it's been great having all off season to learn it. Obviously, last year you get you get drafted and you only have like a weekend throughout uh, OTAs and then uh, in camp. So having a full off season to prepare and even what Pep's done is similar to what I ran in college. So some of the verbiage and carryover of some of the scheme is similar. So I already have a little bit of idea of coming into it of what it's been like. So, I mean, we're really excited. I feel like the whole team's really bought into what we're capable of on offense. And I mean, everyone's really excited to go out there and put up some points and see what we can do on Sunday. Dan, how much does that excitement level raise after seeing what you're able to do in the preseason without your whole offensive line, without Brandon Cooks and Farrell Brown? Everybody's back and everybody's ready to go. And on top of all that, the playbook opens up a little bit even more, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what we're probably most excited for. Obviously, the stuff preseason is a little vanilla. They're not trying to show too much because people are watching film and game planning against you, so you can't tip your hand too early. But I think everyone's really excited what we're able to do this year. And I mean, we're ready to just go out there and play fast. you got bonds with all your receivers. There's been growth with all your pass catchers and whatnot. But what's the bond like with Brandon Cooks? You were both named on Wednesday captains for the offense. What's it like throwing the ball to him and just being a teammate of his and what he means to you? Brandon's been great. Obviously, same type of energy each and every day. He's coming in ready to get to work and lead those guys around him. And I try to do the same. But, I mean, when you know you have Brandon out on the edge going against somebody, I for sure can't cover him. And I know all, pretty much all the DBs across the league can't cover him either. So when you have somebody like that on your side, it's awesome. The guy just cranks out 1,000-yard receiving seasons, and he's been doing it for a while. A guy who's new to the league is Damian Pierce. What could a run game with that guy do for you, do for this offense, do for this whole team? He can do a lot. I think when we can establish a really strong run game, it can change the momentum of everything. Um, I think the, the best game we ran the football last year was the Chargers game. And at the time last year, they were a playoff team. And mm -hmm. that game, we moved the ball very efficiently. And I think Rex ran for 150. So we can do that and establish a run game. It opens up everything across the board on the offense. So we're really excited to see what he can contribute and do out there. All right, Texans want to be a tough team. They want to be a rugged team. They want to be able to run the ball. To do that on Sunday, going to go against some of the best interior defensive linemen you're going to face all season long. How tough are they? How, how much of a challenge are those guys in the middle in DeForest Buckner and in Grover Stewart? They're great players. Obviously, we got to respect them a ton, but I think we're really capable on offense of handling them. Our offensive line right now has done an amazing job all camp and throughout the preseason. Our guys can line up against anybody, and we can be confident. So if we can run the football well on Sunday, I think we got a really good chance. Difference makers in the linebacking core, and Shaquille Leonard, Darius Leonard is, is his former name. You also got Stephon Gilmore, one of the best to ever play at corner. There's a lot of pieces on that defense for the Colts, but it's like you guys are saying, got to do our job, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got a game plan and know who you're playing against to some extent, but when it boils down to it, it's about what we do on offense and how, how well we execute and I mean, that's what's going to go out and win games. All right, we started this interview talking about your confidence. When game time rolls around, however, will there be just a little bit of a butterfly, a little flutter here and there? Um, yes. I've never been one to get super nervous, but, I mean, I think when you get those butterflies before the game, you have to or else it doesn't mean anything to you. So there will be a little bit of jitters, but once we get a couple plays into it, it will be smooth sailing and we'll be ready to go. All right, Davis Mills, best of luck. Show up, show out for H-Town and beyond. Can't wait to see you out there in just a bit. For sure. Thank you. Now, I did my keys to the game earlier in the show, and I didn't mention Davis as a key. I, I tried to spread the wealth, if you will, but Davis is absolutely key in this game. And I think the biggest key for Davis, just one thing that stood out to me last year, was that the best games Davis had, he did something positive on the first drive. Now, it wasn't always a field goal or a touchdown, but he made a key third down throw. Uh, he scrambled out of Dodge and, ma and made a nice throw to pick up some yardage. He just got comfortable. When I think about the games in which Davis struggled, he struggled on the first drive. Like I think of Buffalo. Now, Buffalo was really good, but he fumbled that throw early on. It was pouring down rain, and he just felt like he never got his confidence. Arizona, kind of same thing. Didn't really get anything going early, and it just sort of eroded his confidence. But I think about the Patriots game. He had that drive right off the bat, got him in the end zone. Um, and that was a great day against the Chargers. Same thing. Drive right up the field uh, for a touchdown on the first drive. And, yeah, the run game picked up some stuff, but he had some throws. If he gets some confidence early, I think Davis is really hard to beat. 
knowing that, I would imagine Pep Hamilton is going to scheme up some throws to get Davis that confidence early, get him rolling early, and then away you go. Davis had some of that confidence against the Colts in that 31-3 matchup. It was 10-3, and Davis was making some throws. They just couldn't put any points on the board. Then Leonard got the pick, and it all went downhill from there. But there is no Darius Leonard this week. And that, if there is any good news about facing the Colts, it's that. But it's Jonathan Taylor, Matt Ryan, Davis Mills, Brandon Cooks. It's regular season football at NRG Stadium. Texans opener 2022. Lovey Smith leading the team. How do you not get excited, man? How do you not get excited about ball season? If you don't, well, maybe you love baseball. And that's fine. Then you're not listening to the show. If you are listening, you know you feel like me. Put the jersey on. Get it at NRG Stadium early. Get my tailgating done. Go grab a pop. Sit in my seat at 1130 and go nuts. And let's go get a W against Indianapolis Colts. Liberty Whiteout. Wear your white. Come rep H-Town. And let's get it done. Appreciate you guys for listening. So many people to thank. Mark Vandermeer, Lovey Smith, Davis Mills, Drew Doherty, D.P. Sidhu, Lara Overton, and all of you for being here. You guys are the reason that I do this, that we do this. We love getting a chance to talk to you and tell you about this team and tell you the story of this team. And hopefully the story of this team stretches for the next 18, 19 weeks. And at the end of it, we feel like that was one hell of a story. And it begins Sunday. Kickoff is at noon. Radio pregame at 9. Uh, Sean Pendergast and Seth Payne will take you through. You'll hear me and Mark and Andre and John McClain and any other uh, ambassadors, legends that stop by. And then the game with Mark Andre and myself. Then postgame with Clint and uh, Sean Pendergast. You can see our pregame show live streaming at HoustonTexas.com on our app. DP City, Drew Doherty will be uh, part of that. There's a lot going on. So let's get pumped, people. Sunday. We'll see you there. And as always, go Texans. Go Texans. Go Texans.